we are finally, after three weeks, uh, we are going through Ephesians again. Um, that series that was supposed to take us a few months and has been like, like eight now. And it's going to keep on going. God is good. Like this whole, there's been a prep to see if we're going to go through the book of Matthew. And it seems like we're going to next. But that's going to take like eight years at this rate. And so I'm really excited about that. We'll, be, we'll just rename ourselves the Matthew Church. And that's all we'll talk about. Um, but uh, so we're in Ephesians chapter five. We are nearing the end of the book. Uh, this is Ephesians chapter five. We will only be focusing on verse one and two. Um, so if you remember, especially in chapter four, but really throughout the entire book, uh, Paul uh, has continuously had a bit of a pattern. Uh, and the pattern is he will tell you who you are. He'll tell you positive things about you. And then he'll tell you the things that need to be corrected to be who you are, right? And so uh, the last time we gathered um, on this message series, we, we focused in on how Paul did that. We focused in on, on the, here's who you're supposed to be, so be it, but you can't have this in your life. Uh, Paul, the entirety of chapter five is that. And I'm saying that as a bit of a warning because this week is like, the, here's who you are in Christ. <laughs> but next week is going to be like, but stop. Like, so I'm just like mentally prepare your hearts now. We're just going through the Bible in order of what, God, what Paul wrote. And uh, sometimes you have a turn or burn message. And sometimes you have a fluffy one because Paul just does that. And today's our fluffy message. And it is the calm before the storm. And I just, but once we get through that, we get to talk about the armor of God. So it's like, you know, it's a sandwich. It's, a, it's, a, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a positive sandwich, and today is the beginning of that. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. We will be predominantly sitting there as we talk about everything that God is doing, both in our church and in the body as a whole. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. We brought you one. It's right there on the wall, on two walls, and you can read along with me. Uh, Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 2 says this. Therefore, be imitators of God. Uh, I'll actually, we're going to pause really quick because if you remember in Ephesians, early in the book, he calls them to be imitators of our leaders. And we also talked about 1 Thessalonians uh, where uh, we, we talked about that two or three weeks ago in 1 Thessalonians where Paul says that you are imitators of us. Right, And so we know that everyone's ultimately supposed to imitate God. Everyone is supposed to be imitating Jesus. Uh, but depending on where you are in your walk, there are probably healthy men and women of God that you should also be imitating because their lifestyle is something worth emulating. Right? If your marriage is terrible and you know a couple with a really happy marriage, maybe steal some of the things they're doing to be <laughs> to have a healthier marriage. If you feel like you know someone who's, why, why are they so close with God and I'm not? Honestly, imitate some of their lifestyles. It is life-changing, right? But the same thing happens here. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. <laughs> it's like, hey, imitate God. So die. You know, like that's what Paul just said. Um, and it's just like it's really blunt and it's really like, yeah, be a sacrifice, be a fragrant offering. Like God was. Because God was a fragrant offering to God. Selah. And uh, I'm going to pray. 
and God's going to move, and it's going to be awesome. Dear Lord in heaven, um, teach us to love you and love one another as you have loved us. Uh, God, I pray that the Bible wouldn't be these lists of rules that we have to follow, but within our own hearts, it would just be something that would radically change us, Father God. And in response to the words that are spoken today and the words that come from your word today, Father God, that I pray that there would be change in our lifestyles and change in the way that we carry ourselves in response to the beauty of your sacrifice, of your love, and of the presence of your Holy Spirit. And so in Jesus' name, I pray anything I say today that is not of you, uh, remove it and let it only be you that comes from my lips today, Lord. And in Jesus' name, I say amen. Uh, so a few things to point out, like we pointed out before we just get into the Bible. Uh, Paul continues to use the positive and negative imagery used in Ephesians 4. We did only cover the positive imagery because next week's the negative imagery. But don't worry, we'll make it, we'll make it fun or not. But God's going to move regardless. Amen. Um, but Paul is drawing us, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1 and all the way to Ephesians chapter 4, we see Paul is drawing us to use our gifts he is calling us to live in the likeness of Christ. Um, he is focusing on the kingdom. He is calling us to be the kingdom, to be the body. Uh, Paul has consistently been building this concept. He's saying, be like God, imitate your leaders, walk in your gifts, uh, read your word, be holy unto God. He's saying all these things, and it's all a giant buildup. Because I think here's the thing that is interesting. I think when the average person reads the book of Ephesians, we feel like Ephesians 6, the armor of God, like it was all building to the armor. It's not building to the armor. The armor's part of the downcline. It was building to this verse. Imitate God. This whole book is building to imitate God, and the next, the rest of the chapter, and then the chapter six is just a down, like the downpour of the story to conclude what he is writing. What we are talking about today, this is what Paul was getting at. This is the point. This is why he wrote to the book. He wrote to the church of Ephesians. I am still in worship, and my brain is just all rambly. I, I got to be honest, guys. I don't feel as focused as normal. I just want to go back and keep worshiping. But uh, I do think that God has been wanting this message to be preached. So, God, just help me preach. Uh, why? Amen. Okay, imitate God. Uh, so I want to go back to Ephesians 1 really quick. And I wrote this down, and so I want to look at it when I see it. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Next verse. And walk in love. And so that word and means, it actually doesn't mean and. It means that is two. And so if we pull it back, it's like go to verse one again. He's saying, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And then from verse two, he says, he's like, not and walk in love. He goes, how do you imitate God and walk as children? Uh, by living, by walking in love <laughs> as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So basically what he's saying is you cannot imitate God unless your love runs that deep. Right? And I love when he says as children, right, as beloved children, because I think he's telling them, not I think, I know, he's telling them to just take this plainly. Right? We, we, don't, we can't overcomplicate love. We can't qualify love. Just as children, your child knows if they feel loved by you, and they know if they don't, right? And so it's like this, as beloved children, just walk in love. 
Well, how do I walk in love? See, that is what a kid doesn't ask. Kids just kind of do it, right? Um, and so I actually want to break down into four little sections. As beloved children, one, that's verse, that's one. Walk in love as Christ loved. That'll be our second point. Uh, three is he gave himself up for us. And four is a fragrant offering and sacrifice unto God. Uh, so as beloved children. Uh, so Paul is telling them to be like God as beloved children. So Matthew 18, one to four, I feel like gives us like a, the opening into what God is really saying and what Paul is really saying through this. He says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Stop me if you've heard it before. Uh, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Don't go to verse four or do it. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Don't go to verse four. Uh, there, there is so much here. Turn. That means to repent. Right? He's like, hey, unless you turn around, he's telling his disciples right now, the way you are with me, you will not enter the kingdom. Which is crazy because this is Matthew 18. <laughs> We've been rolling for a while. And he's telling them, you don't know me yet. You still don't know what spirit you're of. And they're saying, who's the greatest? Well, how, what's my anointing? What am I called to be? To turn. And what I love is, is like, what is this child doing right now in this verse? He's just in their midst. He's just, I don't know, sitting on Jesus' lap, standing next to him. Probably really awkward. Like, <laughs> just like every kid's ministry when you pull kids up. But again, he said, truly I say to you, unless you turn, turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's heavy because we overcomplicate. Because I, I love it. It's just like, it make because it's like my first thought when I read that verse is, okay, well, how do I act like a child? And it's like, well, there you go. <laughs> you're, you're overcomplicating it, uh, right? Verse four, he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So not only does he say this kid is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and you're not going where he's going right now. Again, there's, there's weight to that. And this isn't like, again, this is the positive message, so let's not say like you're not going to heaven. Uh, but what I'm saying is, is like we can't overcomplicate Jesus, right? It's like, how do I pray? You, just, you pray, right? H how do I spend time with God? By turning off your television, turning off your phone, and sitting with him. We don't, we, we overcomplicate. I have people that ask me the questions. Again, the disciples come to Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he's like, okay. I'll do it, but he shouldn't have had to, right? Because there's, there's not like a secret, there's not a secret sauce to prayer. I think, again, like I'm supposed to, I think of my own son, right? When I'm, I'm seeing this, and my son, he, he doesn't wonder how he's my son. He, he's kind of a punk about it. Like he walks around my house like he owns the place. Made me laugh. We, had, we were trying to have a leadership meeting and my son walked through the middle of the meeting which, okay, 
opens up our door, slams it behind him, goes through, and he's, he's playing outside on all this stuff, and he's grabbing Johnny's hand because Johnny's not at his home, so Johnny's a little uncomfortable. But Titus at his home, so he's like, and he's just like taking him places, and he keeps interrupting the meeting. And I just I laughed. I looked at Thomas, and I was like, dude, this kid's crazy. And he goes, well, he's home. You know, and it's like, well, that was profound, right? It's like this, this wild confidence that I am the Lord's. This, I am not trying to be God's man of power for the hour. I am not trying to be the most anointed person in the room. I'm not trying to show people my gifts and they really just need to see things how I see them. It's none of that. It's the Charlie and the chocolate factory moment of like, you're just lucky to be here, aren't you? Yeah, I am actually. <laughs> um, I never, so many times in my life personally, when I fought for something, I could never get it. And when I finally stopped, it was suddenly handed to me. Yeah. You know, I've told this story before. It's, it's kind of funny. I was, um, I was, uh, I always wanted to be, be a pastor. I always wanted to be in ministry. I came from a church culture that was like treated as like you're a God among men, if I can be honest. And so just any, any young person wanting to be of any significance would pursue that. And I just remember having a clear moment. Um, we were at a men's group and people were praying and people were falling out in the spirit. And my, my cousin was laying on the ground crying. And so I just walked over and I put his head on my lap and I just prayed for him. And I remember while I was praying for him, I really, for the first time in my life, like, or in, in Christ, I really was like, you know what, God? I don't care at all. Whatever you've called me to do, I'll do it. Just let me keep loving people like this. And it was just like one of those thoughts. And like a month later, the, the pastor pulled me in the room and said, we want to make you a pastor. And uh, it, was, it was just, it's really interesting because when he looked at me, he goes, do you know why we want to make you a pastor? And I was like, okay, no, why? And he goes, because that night at men's, when you were just sitting with your cousin's head in your lap, he goes, I looked, I'm like, this man is a pastor. And it was weird because it's like, that was the moment I gave it up, you know? And it was like, just like a child. It was like, I just, God, I love you. I'm glad I get to be a part of these moments. And it's like when you stop striving to be recognized and you just love people, whatever church it is you're called to, hashtag Boulevard Church, just love the people here. And you'll find you just kind of have a gift. You don't need a gifts test. I mean, that's not even a Bible thing anyway. We do that because we don't want to get personal. So we'll make it into a test instead of just, well, no, I have to spend a few years loving these people before my gifts really come out if I don't know what my gifts are. But we want shortcuts too often. But children, I mean, I'm sure they want shortcuts. But they're just living their lives. My son's just watching Octonauts. You know? He just, when he's hungry, he goes into my fridge and gets food. And it just annoys me when someone opens my fridge. I don't know why. Like, and I open other people's fridges, so I guess it's just like terrible habits all around. But it's just like, there's just a generalized confidence to who my son is. And it comes from the fact that he's just a child. And we have to do the same thing with God. Did you know that you belong to him? Did you know that you don't have to earn that right? That's the point of the cross. He earned that right. And I'm not saying there aren't things that we need to do because we have a few more points after this. But, but the point is, is that children aren't trying to take over the world. They, they just are. <laughs> they just, whenever it's, it doesn't matter what time I think bedtime is. Bedtime is when they want to go to bed, right? 
it becomes a hostage situation really quick. I'm like, just go back to your room. Um, but again, that's what it truly means to imitate God, is to be a child. It's just like the simplicity of it. You know, you hear those stories where it's like the, the kid who saw his sister being attacked by a pit bull, so he intervened and just got ripped apart. And it's like um, the kid lived. And it's like they asked him, like, what made you so brave? Why did you do that? He goes, oh, it's because of my sister. I'm supposed to protect her. You know, it's like it's just it's simple. There's not overcomplication to it. It's like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is who I am, right? The other kid who has to give blood to his sister. I don't know if you've heard that story. It's like a real story. It's like just interesting because it's like this doctor says, oh, you have to give blood to your sister. And like, I don't, I don't remember what he had to give to his sister. It was something like that. And then he's, when they went and they did their thing and they sat down. And so he says, he goes, okay, so well, I get to say goodbye to her before I die. And it's like, you're not going to die, dude. But it's like, but it's just like, this is what kids do, right? I'm like, oh, she needs that? Okay, I'll give it to her. There's a, there's a lack of overcomplication. And overcomplicated is, I think that's what makes us adults. <laughs> it's like innocence dies when you start to wonder where the money comes from. <laughs> but with God, it's like we can't. Where does this power come from? From God. I don't know if I'm allowed to pray today. I've, I've done this. You know you are. Just, just walk in. But next it says to walk in love as Christ loved. I'm sorry. I don't really feel uh, that the appropriate thing to do today during this message is to preach. There is a, a handful of very amazing verses we're about to go through. And I think we should just say line them a little bit. Uh, if that makes sense. I almost like feel bad. All right, we're going to hit a point where I'm just going to call Thomas up and ask him to play guitar. Just because I'd, I'd like us just to spend time in these verses. Because here's what I really think. I think I can preach to you what it means to be a beloved child and to imitate God. But I think everyone in this room knows what that means. And I think if I can be honest, most of us who don't imitate God, we do it selfishly or consciously. You know? And there's not a, a sermon or a preach or a, or a something that will get us to change because it is only the Holy Spirit. And so when the Bible says to walk in love as Christ loved, well, that's John 13, 33 to 34. It goes like this, little children, catch that? Before we even start, Jesus is about to tell them to love like he loved. And how does he open with? Children. So you're going to catch a reoccurring theme throughout this sermon. And I actually, uh, the reoccurring theme is every time we add the next part of the verse, the other two are still behind it. So now we're going to talk about loving like Christ. And when Christ wants to teach you to love like he loves, he pauses and says, hey, children. Because even Jesus knew that you can't love properly unless you love like a child. Well, that's gone. Uh, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So pause. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I'm leaving. And you can't follow me, because he's going to come back for us later. You, you can't follow me. So what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Follow his command. If you love me, you will obey my commands. That is what Jesus said. 
And Jesus, in this moment, we are watching it. There is a new commandment being given. Do we recognize that the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, and then Jesus says, hey, I'm going to do something new? This is, supposed to, this is supposed to shake us because there's not supposed to be new things in God. But this is a new thing. This is a new commandment. Now, sure, John will later say the new thing is an old thing because God always wanted us to love like that. But Jesus is leaving. And so he's not saying to go and shake the nations, though we are supposed to. That's the great, that's the great commission that's coming. He's saying, but first thing first, you just you got to love one another. Like, why are you trying to go to the nations if you haven't properly loved your neighbor? But that's actually the proper order of things. Some of, there are people in this room called to the fields, the mission fields. Love your people first. Because telling God, oh, I'll love them once you put me where I want to be, that's not love. And that's not loving God. Right? He calls us to communities for a reason. And he's leaving. And in his leaving, he's saying, hey, I'm leaving. So love one another. Because it's all you got. Right, I remember when I was a kid, uh, whenever me and my siblings would get into a fight, you know, my, my dad lost his brother at a really young age. And I remember one time that me and my siblings, with a bunch of us, it was, it was crazy. There, there was world-ending arguments, uh, right? Because when you're 12, a lot of things end the world. Yeah. It's simple. If I can't have it, the world's over. Um, I remember we got into a huge argument. I remember he, he started crying, and uh, I, I think he was having one of his, like, flashbacks back to his brother and he started yelling at all of us it was kind of it was kind of nuts though and he's like he's like in yelling he's like someday your mom and me are going to be gone and all you're going to have is each other and it was like you know i'm sure parents have said that before but he said it from this like like this i feel like i was the only one in the group old enough to realize there was something more happening than just we're arguing you know but but it's it's true and jesus is essentially doing the same thing right now it's like i'm i'm gonna be gone all you'll have is one another and yeah, I get it. When you're lonely, the Holy Spirit will comfort you. But when you're lonely, you're supposed to just love one another. Yeah. Call a friend and hang out with him. Don't be alone. Yeah. Well, I'm never alone. I'm in Christ. That's a cop-out. It's true, but it's a cop-out to not have to go be loved by someone. Yeah. You've been hurt too many times. But you know how many times, do, again, back to being like children. Johnny and Titus and Asher and all these kids, they are the weirdest mixture of so rude to each other and so kind to each other. It's like Titus will get so excited. He'll like see Johnny he's so pumped. And like I see Asher will see Titus. Like that's my friend Titus. And like five minutes later, they're telling on each other. And then five minutes after that, they're laughing in the corner. Right? It's just like they're kids. They don't have time to be offended. <laughs> you know? They're just hanging out. Because I'll see, I'll look up, like, how do these kids like each other? I don't get it sometimes. Like, I watch them. Like, my son straight punched someone. And I'm like, I hope you get beat up, dude. It's like, my son will try to bully Johnny, who's like eight times his size. And it's like, what do you, like, if he realizes he can destroy you, he will. <laughs> but it's like, but it's, again, it's this constant childlikeness. Walk as Christ's love. But I want to sit first. I'm going to read this verse, and if you would do me the, the favor. I don't know how this will work on a podcast. Um, if you'll do me the favor of just, let's say law on this one more time. What is God saying to you? And let me ask you, well, as we say law, if loving and walking in love 
as Christ walked in love, he defines it right here. What maybe are things that God is telling you in your own life to rearrange in order to properly love people? Right? At men's group, not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before, we, we continued 1 Thessalonians. The sermon I preached as men's group, we went a little farther because Paul says, you know what manner of men we were among you. And so a men's group, we kind of settle on this discussion of Paul and Barnabas and these apostles, they carried themselves a certain way for the other people. And so what I asked the men is what kind of men do the people around you need you to be? Right? Because again, that's love. Love is self-sacrificial. Right? And so when Jesus is saying the same thing, like in what way do the people around you need to be loved by you? And not this, well, they don't love me, so I don't love them. Someone's got to initiate. You get to be the Jesus in this scenario. Right? But again, it's like, we, we'll overcomplicate this. Well, how do I love them? You just you invite them over? Eat with them? You see, they seem down, talk to them about it. Know what's going on in their lives enough to be praying for them. If someone falls short with you, be quick to forgive them. Well, I feel like this person doesn't even want me around. Well, then want them around. Right? It's like love has such a responsibility. It's not about the other person. It's about me. Right? And know this. This verse, it is specifically talking about the brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, we'll have the weeks coming where we talk about the world. This isn't about your unsaved mother, brother, who you want to reconcile with. This is about your brothers and sisters in Christ who are right here in this room with you right now. Right? So uh, I'm going to have PT come up and play guitar. Sorry, but last week his fingers were killing him and I'm bringing it back. I'm sorry. Pray for his fingers, guys. That's how you'll love Thomas. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, stronger. Uh, but if we'll go back a verse. Uh, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. But the main thing we're going to focus on, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. We are at the halfway point of the sermon. We'll have a few more verses to sit on. Um, this is all kind of ad-libbed. Forgive me. Uh, I just feel it in my heart. Sit along what God is telling you.
people you don't see. Because love is an action, not an emotion. There is no greater love than this, than to give up your life for your friends. Unless, I feel like unless you're bleeding in a community, you're not loving like God's called you to love. And I know it's easy to say that as a pastor, but I think it's, it's a biblically accurate truth. When God cursed Cain, he put a mark on him and he sent him to Nod. And Nod means to wander. So when God cursed Cain, he cursed him to wander. Because cursed people don't have homes. But saved members of the kingdom are rooted and founded. And they do have a foundation that they link roots with. I think many Christians consider themselves ronin, wandering this world, slaying the demons that have already been defeated. Because it's easier to wander than it is to put yourself in a position to bleed, to get uncomfortable, for people to know you in ways that you don't want to be known, and so you wander. Now, again, don't hear this as me saying that every mission on the mission field is, is in, in, in rebellion against God, because that is just not true. God sends out as well. Um, but I think he sends out healthy people who know what it means to plant, not wounded people who have only ever wandered. Again, real, consistent. I, I feel like the most powerful missionaries I've ever met are the ones who have been like, oh, yeah, I've been here seven years now. You know, like, oh, their heart bleeds for a place. They pick up their home and they relocate it and they teach their schools and they're, they're, they're changing a culture and they're, they're raising up just like the apostles. That, I mean, heck, when you look at the apostles, like, they're sitting, they're like, oh, I, I was here for two years and I was here for eight years. And it's like these crazy long periods of time. And just because we read them and it's quick, it doesn't mean it was actually quick, right? You know, and so hear this the way that it is meant is that stop wandering. Apostles were. Apostle means sent out one. It's okay to be sent. It's not okay to wander. I don't care what Tolkien said. Uh, the third point is he gave himself up for us. So again, beloved children, walk in love as Christ's love. He gave himself for us. So once again, for another time in the Bible, love is being defined as sacrifice. Imitating God is being defined as loving enough to sacrifice. Imitating God is being defined as sacrificing in the simplistic way that a child would understand the word sacrifice, to give up. John 10, 17 and 18, another verse that we're going to sit on for a second. For this reason. Okay, can we talk about how ridiculously crazy this verse is? For this reason, the Father loves me. Jesus is saying that. As in, there's a reason the Father loves Jesus. 
because I lay down my life and I take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Go back a verse. For this reason, the father loves me. See, if you believe what I believe, you believe that God is one, but the Trinity, right? And I believe that God has eternally loved the son, as in from the beginning of time, he loved the son. But Jesus seems to imply that the reason why God loved me from the beginning is because I was always the one who was going to sacrifice himself for his sheep. As in there's a why, a purpose to the love. Because to walk in love as Christ's love and to be as united with God as Jesus Christ, who is God, is, you have to be sacrificial. And that kind of sacrifice produces the same authority you see in Jesus. That we talked about a few weeks ago from 1 Thessalonians. The power. It comes from those who aren't seeking to hold the sword. Right. I feel like there's a, a fantasy series, and I can't think of which one it is, but there's like a sword in that series where they fight a great villain, and the sword appears to the hero in the last second, and later when he finds out why, it's like the, the sword comes to those who aren't seeking to use it, but who have to defend someone. I don't know what series that is. Is that Harry Potter? Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Apparently, there can be good theology in Harry Potter, too. Um, absolutely. That makes me so happy. Um, you know, also, the reason why Voldemort couldn't carry Harry, because his mother loved him, and she sacrificed herself for him. So there's the gospel as well. Um, <laughs> makes me happy. But it's, it's biblically accurate, right? Like, the power from God comes from those who are willing to lay down and sacrifice. They're not seeking power, they're seeking love. And so what they receive is power and love. It's like when Solomon sought wisdom and God's like, you could have asked for riches but you sought wisdom, so I'm giving it all to you. Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. But the kingdom is firstly what is the quality we see in our king? The kingdom is self-sacrificial. The kingdom lays down its life because the kingdom follows the king and the king laid down his life. Uh, but for this reason, the father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. Pause. See, when the Bible says to walk in love is Christ's love. Here it is. And not only is this the son showing his love, but this is the reason the father loves him. Pray about what that means in relation to the, if, if God loves the self-sacrificial, what does God feel towards the selfish? Man, I'll have to make sure next week's really encouraging. I don't know how. <laughs> We've over complicated Christianity. 
into having to define love deeper than just I. Whatever you need, I'll do it. See, I, again, it really is that practical. Hey, dude, I'm moving. Can you help me move? Okay. Right? Yes, that's how I feel every time, but I'll do it because I love you. They go, what's that saying? It happened when I was moving, and then when the Tissas were moving, the same quote came up. But someone's like, you know who your friends are when you have to move? <laughs> like, that's when you know who your real friends are? <laughs> but it's like it's a real thing, though, because your friends are the ones who sacrifice for you. See, again, in the world, I think we've been raised up to decide that friends are the people who have the same dysfunctions that we do. But it's like that's why we're dysfunctional because no one's sacrificing for one another. But if we define friends as the people like, no, these ones who will sacrifice for me and I'm going to respond likewise, that's true friendship. And that's how you get people to show up and move for you. <laughs> but it goes so, so, so consistently. Like look around. Would you sacrifice for people? And again, it's like it's, it's so cheesy, but it's almost like, yeah, I'll die for this person. And it's like, but you won't go to their house and help them clean their room or something, right? You wouldn't die for them, right? Like, I almost feels like, like to die for someone, is, it's easy, right? To sacrifice for them is hard. And I say that, but obviously Jesus' death was a very hard thing, but there was so much more going on to that. But 1 John 3.16, yes, 1 John. John 3.16 is fun. 1 John 3.16, John 3.16 is what you need to know so you can get saved. 1 John 3.16 is what you need to know to live like you're saved. Uh, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Pause. Sisters too. Hallelujah. Um, but I love this. It's like you couldn't know love unless he died for you. And the people around you can't know love unless you die for them. Unless you sacrifice for them. Again, it's... it's I think it's easy to preach, and then someone calls you at 3 in the morning, and you got work at 4. <laughs> to make those sacrificial steps and to be like Jesus. As a beloved child, walking in the same love as Christ loved and giving yourself up for someone. Imitators of God, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Sorry, uh, I want us to, let's sit on this. First John 3, 16. I don't know, maybe at some point. Uh, but keep this in mind, that by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Let's keep uh, John 10 in the back of our minds while we're, we're meditating on this, which is, because of this reason, the Father loves me.
obviously, uh, my two probably most standout relationships in my life outside of my kids, um, which my kid, my relationship with my kids is something I've said a thousand times. It's like, I get it. They've done nothing to earn my love, and yet they had it all, like completely. They're the only two people I've ever loved with the fullness of my heart for no reason. You know, and again, it's not the most Christian thing, but every person that I have loved truly in my life, there has been a give and take. There are things they have done that have made me love them, but those kids did nothing. They did everything they could to make sure I wouldn't, and it, it does nothing to impact that love. But I think the two most standout relationships of my life are my wife and my other wife. Um, <laughs> Um, oh, Jesse's not here today. Dang it. Pray for Jesse. She wasn't feeling well. Um, but I, I know with my wife, um, you know, I've shared this testimony before of like, um, you know, I, I broke up with her. And, um, and then I just started being very not Christian with people. And the, the love she showed me during that time to this day has been one of the greatest examples of selfless love I've ever seen in my life. Because it's like I did everything I could to, to, to make her not love me. And she just kept doing it anyway. Um, and, uh, and I've definitely seen this kind of love that Jesus gives also in my wife. And how she is with our kids. How she is with her family. And many of you in this room. And how she is with, with me. And how she always has been with me. It's been such a beautiful picture of, of love. And honestly, it's, it's why I, I married her. Like, I fell in love with her, how deep she loves. Um, and I think the same thing with, with Pastor Thomas. It's funny, we've always, um, we always joked, like, through high school, it was always me and, and Thomas and then, like, another friend. And, like, the third party, like, always changed. Like, when we were in high school, we found Jesus. The third person didn't want to find Jesus, so we stopped hanging out with them. Went to church, and then we started, like, really hanging out with the guy. There was the three of us, and then we decided to join the internship, and that person didn't want to do that. So then we had an intern become friends with us, and then that one kind of left the intern, started doing their own thing, but we kept following Jesus. And, and then we, we had another buddy who, who was, like, the three of us, and it was, like, then I felt like God was telling me to leave the church that we had been a part of from the day that we were saved. And I, so I left, and then it's, like, you know, that, that day, the third party walks up and is like, man, I love you. We'll, we'll hang out. We'll kick it. And Pastor Thomas goes, yeah, God told me to go too. And so we went and then we, we buddied up and we had a friend that was doing ministry with us. And then that one chose to live a, a different kind of life. And, and so it's just kind of been our consistent thing of like our friendship has been predicated upon like just we're sacrificing everything for Jesus. And as we both pursued that individually, it has also created one of the tightest friendship I've ever, I've ever had in my life. But more than that, I've ever seen in other people's lives. It's like I look around and me and him talk about it. It's like people don't have friends like me and him have friends. But it's because we've always just been so self-sacrificial towards each other and towards our calling to God. And it has produced, it a, a, produced a friendship that I have not seen. And, and I'm not saying it's perfect and not saying that we don't annoy each other, but that's just part of life. You can't sacrifice for someone unless they're, they're giving you reasons to not want to sometimes. Hallelujah. I guess every time he strums and his fingers hurt, he's like this guy. <laughs> yeah, wrap it up. Um, but no, it, it's like I, I say it kind of jokingly, but, but it's true of like 
I think the, why I'm generally a happy person, why it's easy for me to, even when I feel like I wander a bit from God, why it's always been so easy to come back and, and stay focused and stay on mission and stay on track with what I feel like God's calling me to do is because the two closest earthly friendships I have are also the same way. They're so self-sacrificial to Jesus. And it's like you'll be like the people you surround yourself with. And it has helped me be a better person to be around such great people. You know, and it's like do that for one another. Give yourself to one another and for one another. Uh, and for Jesus, most importantly, what he's calling you to do. And you'll find that true, lasting, and sincere friendships will permeate from that. And people who sit in this room and go like, well, I've been at this church for blank this many times or this long. I don't really have deep friends. And it's like, I'm sorry. It sucks. You should. But have you considered that you're selfish? Have you considered that you're not the kind of person people want to be friends with? Because it's always, I need help. I'm going, I, you know, at some point, if you can't look at someone and walk with them through their issues, you can't have deep friendships. At most, you'll just always be someone's project. You'll never be their friend. And forgive me if that sounds harsh, because I've been people's projects before. Right, And I know that we all go through seasons where all we can be to someone is, I just need help. But we have to grow. And we have to break out of it. And we have to begin to sacrifice like Jesus. Sacrifice and become more than that. Sorry, we'll move on from that. Lastly is a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. A Leviticus 1.17, fun verse. He shall tear it open by its wings. It's a bird. Uh, but shall never sever it completely, not sever completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So when the Bible talks about being a fragrant offering or a sacrifice to God, it, what, what, what it means is the thing you're doing, the sacrifice you're doing, it, it smells good to God. God finds joy in us being self-sacrificial. He enjoys the intake of seeing us live like he lived to one another. And again, it really is just that simple. The Bible says your prayers are a fragrant offering to God. But this verse, Ephesians 5, 2, it is not talking about prayer. It is talking about sacrifice. Uh, the woman comes to Jesus and she starts to pour this perfume on his feet. And, and you know, one of the disciples uh, says to, to Jesus of like, like, she's wasting a year's worth of wages. And, and, and so Jesus turns and he looks and he says like, like she's, she's giving everything. You know, and he's like, and wherever, wherever my gospel is preached, her sacrifice will be preached about. Right? Because her giving up a year of her life on the feet of Jesus is like a practical sacrifice. And, and I don't know if you've, you've probably seen the video if you're into Christendom, but I've seen the video of a guy pouring oil on a cowhide and then he whips it with a whip. And whenever he whips, you can actually see uh, the oil puff up. Because as the skin breaks, the perfume on it breaks. And so this woman poured and she anointed Jesus. And so it's just like this thing that like, I've always heard talked about in 
in commentaries of like, it's very likely that whenever Jesus got whipped, you could smell her worship, which is insane, right? That's such an insane concept. And it's also a really good object lesson or a picture to what we can do in our own lives of like, as we pour to Jesus, as we give to one another and we sacrifice like Christ sacrificed, he sees it as a pleasing aroma. And it's like in the face of this sacrifice, it's like a beautiful smell of worship just puffs up into the to the heavens towards God. And the Bible would actually tell us that God breathes it in and it says it is pleasing to him. I think in modern America, that's just such a weird concept because we don't talk about it enough. It's like, ooh, this is, this is weird. This is charismatic. But it's like, it's not, it's just normal doctrine. It's, it's just plain to see in the text. It's like, if you want to be pleasing to God, then you have to sacrifice by God's sacrifice. Little children, walk in love as Christ loved. He gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. I'm going to close with this. John 15, 12 to 14. This is my commandment. I'm just, this is just Matthew, but it's in John. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And I want to ask you an honest question as we close with meditation. Are you his friend?